What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Did you hear about the ninja dog competing at Westminster? She won best in no show. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. Hey! I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve! No. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you have a question, you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at Dr. Scott WM and visit our website, drsteve.com, for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right. Um, please don't forget to check out stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com. Got all kinds of uh, things that we talk about on this show. Or you can just click straight through and go to Amazon. And when you do, it actually helps us out. Uh, you can go to uh, tweakedaudio.com for the best earbuds. Uh, on the market for the price and the best customer service anywhere. And if you use offer code FLUID, F-L-U-I-D, you'll get 33% off your order, which is an insane, insane number. Uh, if you'd like to lose weight with me and attain your ideal body weight, check out Noom, noom.drsteve.com. We'll get you two free weeks and 20% off if you decide to uh, continue. And it's just a three-month program, so you just pay for the three months and you're done. You can continue using the app forever after that if you want to. And it's not a diet. It is a psychology program. So check it out at Noom, 
www.drsteve.com and then check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. Well, you'll notice that uh, Tacey's not here. Uh, Dr. Scott's not here. Uh, I'm once again doing the show by myself. That's fine. It's fine. Totally fine. Now, what's going on is I'm, you know, things are calming down some, right? Uh, The viral cases are decreasing. Hospitalizations are decreasing. And everybody thinks that it's just over and everything is fine, particularly my staff. (laughs) And so I have had to cover for how many people did we have out this week with COVID-19? Well, uh, quite a few. So your old pal, Dr. Steve, has been uh, slogging it away. You know, I thought when I took over this uh, this larger position that it would be easier for me. But actually, uh, yeah, responsibility kind of sucks. <laughs> and I, I knew that. But anyway, uh, yeah, the work's got to be done patients have to be seen and uh, it doesn't matter if you're the if you're the big dog or not uh well it particularly matters if you are the big dog you need to set a good example so uh so yeah i've been working my butt off so once again i am uh doing the show uh drinking a little willets just a little bit just a tad and uh we're going to answer all your medical questions today so very little bs uh, a very little um, shit of the bull variety today. So, um, can you please stop bullshitting oh, and see? get to the question? All right, okay, I'm getting to it. Uh, there you go. Uh, check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net and don't forget about uh, drsteve.com. All right, I do have one thing that I would like to talk to you about um, corona, uh, coronavirus. Virus makers are considering uh, recommending booster shots because of these uh, variants. So you hear about the variants. Basically what it is, is just through natural selection, the virus will, when it reproduces, there will be errors sometimes in the transcription of the viral RNA when it's making new copies of itself. Sometimes those errors will cause the virus not to form at all. Other times, it will cause the virus to um, be the same. It doesn't really make any difference. One amino acid here and there doesn't make any difference, but every once in a while, one amino acid or one coding for an amino acid can change the uh, virus's ability to transmit itself. It doesn't really care if it kills you. It doesn't want to kill you. It doesn't want anything. It's just a stupid nanomachine. But what's advantageous for it is to get into more and more hosts. And one way to do that is to not kill the host. Because if you kill the host, then all the viral particles that are, are still in the body are just stuck there. If that host is alive, it has the potential to cough it up or puke it up or spit it up or, you know, defecate it whatever, and and more viral particles can get out and spread. So it's in its the virus's advantage not to kill people, but it uh, is really in its advantage to make it easier 
for someone to get it from another person. And uh, that's what these mutations are. And the ones that we care about that are becoming successful are successful because in the environment that we're in right now, they are more readily able to uh, reproduce. And that's probably because they're more transmissible. Now, sometimes the vaccine we already have will protect against those because the antibody doesn't care about that particular area. Every once in a while, the thing can mutate enough to where the antibodies that you already have will um, not block it anymore, and therefore you can get infected. We see this with Norwalk virus. Norwalk virus is the virus uh, that is famously known for causing shit cruises on, uh, you know, on cruise lines. It's very infective. I wonder what the R sub zero, and I know all of you know what that is. So I don't have to go into it, but what is the R sub-zero or the effective um, reproduction number of Norwalk virus? Because I'm going to predict that it's higher than COVID-19 because on the Diamond Princess, if they had had Norwalk virus, about half of the people would have been out, if not more, whereas uh, it, was, it turned out to be about 17% of people were infected with COVID-19. So the uh, basic, uh, here we go, basic reproduction number of norovirus varies widely. Um, so from 1 to 1 to 7, 7 to 2, so that'd be 3.5 to 1. COVID-19 is 2.4 to 1. In other words, one person generally will infect 2.4 vulnerable people in a, an ideal population. And so the Norwalk virus would be 3.5, so it'd be more. Influenza. 1.2. That's why we're not seeing influenza this year. It's no conspiracy. It's not that we're not testing for it. We test for it, and everybody. Um, we're doing this sort of quadrivalent uh, um, te uh, lab test now that tests for influenza A, influenza B, coronavirus, this one, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, and respiratory syncytial virus. So we're testing for all of those. And we're not seeing very much influenza at all compared to what we normally do. And the, the infectious disease people who do nothing but see stupid viruses this time of year uh, are confirming that to me. But anyway, so, um, so Norwalk virus, you get it. Let's say you're unfortunate and you have one of those cruise ships where a lot of people have Norwalk virus and there's puking and diarrhea and all this stuff for days. It's not a 24-hour bug usually. And then um, you're fine and you get exposed to it again, you're good. But then the thing mutates just enough to where your immunity doesn't uh, protect you anymore and then you get the puke bug again. So that can happen. We see this with influenza. Influenza mutates these uh, proteins on its surface that uh, it can mutate enough so that you have to get vaccinated every year. We're working on a universal vaccine for influenza. I would like to see, uh, and you know, by the way, if we truly have a universal vaccine that blocks infection, we can eradicate influenza. We've already seen that we can knock it down to uh, you know, a, a shadow of its former self through social distancing and mask wearing and washing our hands and not sticking our hands in our faces. I think most of us, 
except for the my partner who constantly has her pinky finger in her mouth. I don't know how she hasn't gotten COVID-19. But anyway, um, uh, but most of us have learned to wash our hands before we eat and to at least use gel and not stick our fingers in our mouth and in our eyes and in our nose. And I think that has contributed as much, if not more, than mask wearing, to be honest with you. It's a, a really good habit, and we all kind of learned it because this coronavirus thing kind of freaked us out a little bit. Influenza, we've lived with that our whole lives, and a lot of people are like, well, that's the devil I know. This is a brand-new devil, and uh, people took it a little more seriously. But anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, and so if we get a universal influenza vaccine, let's get a universal Norwalk virus vaccine. Who doesn't want to eradicate puke bugs on cruise ships? I've had Norwalk, Norwalk virus. Our kids brought it home one time, and we were all sick for about a week. And Big Joe just came over one time, I think brought us food, which is exactly what you want when you have a puke bug. And she didn't even come in the house, and she got it. I mean, she was just standing in the doorway. So uh, it, it, that's a miserable one. I'd love to see it eradicated. And then, of course, all the coronaviruses. All of the Ebola slash Marburg type viruses. And, uh, you know, we've already killed smallpox. That's just the beginning. Stupid viruses. Well, anyway, um, these variant COVID, uh, these COVID viral variants, they, they're real. Some of them may evade the uh, vaccines that we've already had. Or if you have been infected, it may invade that. So they're just going to make variant-specific booster shots. It's just like how specific vaccines are tailored to fight influenza. They can craft a version of the vaccine to combat individual coronavirus variants. So, you know, suck it, COVID. We've got your number. And I'm reading from, what is this, NPR.org. Moderna says its new vaccine candidate based on the strain first identified in South Africa is now ready for clinical testing. Look at how fast that happened. This happened, it's going to happen faster and faster because we're getting better and better at doing this. Uh, Paul Stoffels, the chief scientific officer at Johnson & Johnson, said his company is preparing a special version of its vaccine to target the spike protein found in the B1351 variant seen in South Africa. Now, if you can do that, you know there's three or four uh, variants out there, why not just do a multivalent booster? You know, we do that with influenza where you treat for multiple strains of influenza. Um, you know, the drug companies can blend two or three versions of the vaccines into a single shot. And so you would target the original SARS-CoV-2, and then you'd have another one or two targeting the variants. And now Moderna is uh, going to look at combining its original vaccine, which is now known as mRNA-1273 with a newer version it created to fight the B1351 coronavirus variant, first identified, as we said, in South Africa. So there you go. So don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Um, these We've got these viruses in our cross, well, in our sites, in the crosshairs, and they can kiss my ass. How about that? I hate them. I don't hate very many things. I hate 
effing viruses. They just, they hijack your cells to do their dirty work. And what is their dirty work? Just to reproduce for no reason, to no end whatsoever, just blind reproduction. And as I said last week, we do some blind reproduction of our own. But the difference is that we grow out of this universe. We are part of this universe. Every cell in our body was in the center of a star at one time in, uh, you know, uh, millions of years or billions of years in the past. And uh, so, and well, that's true of viruses too, but hang with me for a second. We grow out of this universe and, um, you know, the earth is peopling. That's an Alan Watts term. If, if you ever want to listen to some pretty cool um, philosophy, Alan Watts, when he says these things, they just make so much sense. And you're like, oh, my God, why didn't I ever think of this before? And as soon as it's over, you go, what the hell did he say? But anyway, uh, yeah, check him out at Alan. I think it's alanwatts.org. But uh, myth of myself is a good one. It will blow your mind. Well, anyway, so, yeah, the earth is peopling. It's just that's what it does is it makes people and other forms of life. But we can look up at the sky and regard the universe. Not only that, we can do quantum physics and we can learn about the the making of the universe and how uh, quantum fields work and how when you know when you look at a tree you break it down into cells and xylem and phloem and then atoms and then quarks and electrons and then you put it all together and you call it tree we can do that viruses can't do that and viruses are stupid and they're assholes so enough with them we, I would like for us to declare war on all viruses. Very good. All right. Okay. Enough of. Uh, enough you of never answered a single fucking Okay. I know. I know. All right. All right. All right. What the fuck, man? <laughs> what the fuck, man? Okay. So this is what I'm going to do this week is we're going to do some blind voicemails. Because I've been so busy, I have not been able to uh, download your voicemails and listen to them and think about them before I do anything about them. So I just thought we would. Um, um, uh, listen uh, to some of these and just answer them on the fly. Okay, here we go. Here's number one. Anna Marie Mule. Um, what? I'm experiencing white fingernails. It looks like a chalk, white chalk was put under the fingernail. Okay. That you just came from the beauty parlor. And I have. Um, also on my arm and legs, sporadic uh, tags. It's a white, hard, jutting out of the skin on uh, the arm. It's like a cone-shaped white, yes. hard material yes. in several places. I, I And even my toenails are white underneath the, the nail itself. You know. Okay, so I think there's three things going on. The cone-like hard things on the skin, that's probably the easiest thing that I can talk about. Those sound like keratotic horns. And a keratotic horn, um, if they're large and there's just a few of them, are usually associated with sun damage. And um, they can... 
be associated with a thing called an actinic keratosis. And an actinic keratosis uh, can be a precursor for a type of skin cancer. So get those checked. Now, there are other sort of benign keratoses where you have um, uh, keratosis of the and keratosis, the keratin is sort of the plasticky uh, substance that that helps create skin and makes it nice and uh, impervious to damage. And there is a um, if you, if you feel like sandpaper, there's so many of those little horns sticking up, and they're tiny, uh, like little pyramids. That could be keratosis pilaris, which is also known as follicular keratosis. Now that's common; it's genetic. The skin hair follicles. Uh, have these uh, itchy, small, goose flesh-like bumps, and some of them are uh, uh, red or inflamed, and sometimes they'll just be hard and feel like sandpaper. So that could be it. Um, now let's go to so get those looked at. Uh, the dark or the white lines running across the nails. Usually white spots or streaks are normal. There's nothing to worry about. I'm looking at a couple right now. Sometimes they're associated with trauma. Now, if you have parallel white lines that go all the way across the nails, um, those can be a sign of low levels of protein in the blood. And uh, they're not grooved. They're usually smooth. And you could have, uh, you could, you know, not be not getting enough protein in your diet. The nails are pretty interesting because, you know, they're they're kind of clear. And what you're looking at is nail bed. And nail bed has um, blood, you know, uh, blood vessels uh, embedded and capillaries embedded in it. So you can kind of see some things when you look at someone's nails that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Um, every once in a while, you'll get someone that has a dark streak that runs from the cuticle to the end and uh, it looks like maybe they spilled ink in there kind of and it's just sort of spread and uh, we are concerned about that because every once in a while that will be a sign that the person has uh, a melanoma in the nail bed and the melanin from the melanoma is actually staining the nail itself and as it grows out it makes that streak so if you have that get that checked uh the other thing she said under her toenails it's white and sounded like it was thick that's almost always a fungus the toenails particularly are at the most rural part of the cosmopolitan body and uh you know with the heart and brain being sort of new york and london and uh, the um, uh, the toes being, I don't know, Lizard Lick, North Carolina, uh, very rural area. And so because they don't, they're so rural, they don't get good blood supply. They don't get good services. Right. And uh, the the police department would be the white blood cells. And it, they're pretty much eating donuts in that part of the body because there's not a lot of crime there. And uh, so a fungus can sort of set up shop, and then it's too late. It kind of overwhelms the immune system, and it can just grow. Um, nail infections are interesting because you can buy this stuff. It's a medication called Jublia, I think. 
and you put it on for 48 weeks, and then your nail beds will clear up as long as they're not already thickened and, and dystrophic, you know, all out of shape and weird looking. You can use Vicks Vapor Rub too. There was a study where they used Vicks Vapor Rub, and this was a PubMed uh, study, and um, at least it got published somewhere. And they had similar efficacy if they used it for 48 weeks. Of course, you would stink like Vicks Vapor Rub for 48 weeks, but it works. So it's, it may not be the medication so much; is just putting something on your toenails for 48 weeks. Tea tree oil. I've seen people use that. And the magic number there is about 48 weeks. So it takes about a year. And uh, I found that it takes about a year for those nails to actually grow all the way from the cuticle to the end. So that probably has something to do with it. I remember once I smashed my thumb. I was uh, trying to um, oh, do something with a Christmas tree. I don't remember. And I wasn't holding the axe just right. It was in a weird angle. And I smashed my thumb between the axe handle and the stump of the tree. Don't ask me how I did it. It was bizarre. It, the tree was on its side at that point. So now you kind of get a little bit better idea. And I really missed. And it just smashed my nail. And it took almost exactly, it was the Christmas a year later when I finally clipped off the last bit of that damaged nail. That's how long it took to, to uh, grow out. So anyway, yeah, nails are interesting. Um, if if most of the nail has turned white, and it's not because it's become a detached from the nail bed because of a nail infection or something like that, um, it it could be decreased blood supply to the nail bed, which we would call Terry's nails. And um, sometimes you'll, they'll be white, and then they'll have a dark tip. And that's a sign of a bunch of different things like diabetes, anemias, chemotherapy, thyroid disease, stuff like that. So if you have weird nails, weird grooves, weird colors, uh, streaks under the nail, anything like that, just get them checked, okay? All right, good deal. All right, that one went okay. Let's see. Let's try another one. Uh, hey, Dr. Steve. Why is it in my 40s my time to recover after dropping a load in my wife is so much longer than it used to be in my 20s. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, do I have to get checked for low testosterone? I don't have a problem getting a rod. It's just if my wife and I have been fucking a couple days in a row, there is no way I'm going to get my nut off on yeah. that third day. Yeah. Um, Understood. Uh, what's going on? Well, you know, on that third day, you could be giving her some extra attention. You know, since you're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna complete the transaction. You can go as long as she needs you to, as long as you can keep, stay erect. There is refractory time for erection, but there's also a refractory time for ejaculation. One of the things that has to happen for you to be able to ejaculate again is that there needs to be fluid in the uh, seminal vesicles and the prostate needs to be able to sort of uh, inject some fluid as well so that you can l literally ejaculate. And if, it, if you can't, the body just kind of goes, oh, what's the point? So then it doesn't happen. I really feel like when you're, when you're young, that fluid replenishes so quickly. And when, when, the, when those um, 
vessels are just bursting, that's when you get your best orgasms because you get that great sort of emptying out feeling. And the older you get, the longer it takes for those things to fill back up. That's really kind of all it is. Now, um, there's this thing, I, I alluded to it already, called the refractory period. It's the span of time after having an orgasm during which a person is not sexually responsive. So you are sexually responsive. You're just not able to complete the uh, transaction. And um, that it's just, don't worry about it. Dude, if you're, if you're getting it three days in a row at your age, you're doing pretty damn good. Now, can you reduce your, um, your refractory period? I don't know. Drinking more fluids, you could try that, because the more fluid you have in your system, the um, quicker you can replenish the, uh, the fluid in your seminal vesicles. And I'm just looking here to see if anybody is saying anything about shortening that refractory period. Um, no, nothing at all. It does say, though, oh, reducing the refractory period. Let's, let's look at this. This is from Medical News Today. Um, a person who wants to improve their all, overall well-being and sexual function can try these things. Cardiovascular exercises, such as walking, running, or aerobics. That makes sense. It boosts your testosterone, just makes you feel better in general. The more active you are, the more interested in intercourse you're... Uh, uh, lizard brain will be because it means that you're healthier. Uh, maintaining a healthy body weight for sure, not you know having sleep apnea, that kind of stuff. Eating a nutrient-dense diet. Well, this is all just, just do this anyway. Uh, uh, treating underlying health conditions such as diabetes. Well, no shit. Okay, some people try pelvic floor exercises to try and shorten the refractory period. People refer to these exercises as kegels or pelvic floor muscle training. So Google pelvic floor muscle training. Basically, you're just squeezing your taint and you're holding it for 10 seconds, which is, sounds easy, but it's not as easy as you think it is. I'm trying to do it right now. Oh, goodness. And uh, it's uh, harder than you think. And, um, you know, those muscles are the muscles that you use when you are trying to hold in your urine. So... Uh, do multiple reps a day. Try to do longer and longer. Do five seconds on, five seconds off, five seconds on, five seconds off. And then work your way up to 10 seconds on and three seconds off. And see, and let me know if you do that, if you can see any difference. But you're going to have to do that for weeks, and you got to do it a lot. Uh, and also, erectile dysfunction medication like Cialis or Sildenafil, which is the active ingredient in Viagra, um, uh, those can decrease the refractory period and can make your uh, ejaculations more pleasurable as well. Now, here we go. A 2003 placebo-controlled trial. There you go. Give yourself a bill. Those are the best kind of trials for this kind of thing when you're trying to determine whether a medication has an actual effect or not. Found that 40% of males reported a significant reduction in the refractory period when they used sildenafil, which is Viagra. 13.3% of the placebo users experienced a similar reduction. So you see, this also illustrates the placebo effect is a very powerful effect. It's so powerful, we have to subtract it out of every t study that we do. So um, 
you you know the actual effect is going to be 40 minus 13.3 not just 40 percent but very interesting um well there you go there's other studies that have shown just the opposite that it didn't improve anything so it's just when i see that means it probably doesn't have a huge effect but you could certainly try it and going to hurt anything all right so you lucky bastard all right where are we here we go okay hi dr steve it's tim in new hampshire hey tim i got a question for you i've heard you in the past talk about using uv light to see various skin funguses and whatnot yes so i was messing around the other day i decided to shine them on my toes and in between my toes is glowing great like salmon pink like you said uh -huh. and my toenails are kind of glowing green so is this something that <laughs> over-the-counter stuff can clear up or will i need to go see a specialist oh. okay so green under a um, black light can be a bacterium called pseudomonas and uh, salmon pink is a bacterium called a corine bacterium that causes a skin inflammation called erythrasma and erythrasma multiple times in the history of of mankind has been mistaken for jock itch and treated with antifungals to no effect so if you have jock itch or something that someone diagnosed as a fungal infection and you've used all the antifungals and it hasn't gotten better and you have access to a black light shine it on there if it's a beautiful salmon pink like this guy said it is erythrasma and erythrasma has to be treated with a bacteria uh, you know antibacterial not an antifungal so very good wow he's listening how about that i don't think i've mentioned erythrasma in a long time so that is a long time listening give Thank yourself you. a bill give him one of those I'm able to normally fool myself into thinking that no one's actually listening, which is a, a good thing for me, because if I actually thought people were listening, if I thought about it, I, I would freeze up even worse than I, than I am normally. Okay, here we go. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Paul hey. from New York. Hey, man. My wife said, said I sounded like an idiot after the first time I called. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to play that one, too. I see it. It's next in the queue. Well, let's see. This one, he won't sound like an idiot, so he should sound pretty good. So I'm going to re-ask my question. Okay. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Paul <laughs> from New York. Hey, man. I was just watching the news, uh, the news tonight, and they said uh, that the COVID vaccine is the best way to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Okay. However, right before they were talking about that, they had a story that said that even when you get the vaccine, you can still get the virus <laughs> and you can still transmit the virus. Sure, sure, right. So which one is it? <laughs> Are you safe or can you still transmit it? Is it safe? And if you can still get it and you can still transmit it, What's really the point of getting the vaccine? Yeah, excellent. Um, been Give giving a lot of these today. Excellent question. So, uh, yeah, it's it's tough when you're getting contradictory, what uh, what seem like contradictory uh, bits of information. Don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. There's context to these things. The don't wear a mask. Wear a mask thing. 
in the beginning, when there was 100 cases in Washington state, it was stupid for someone in Tennessee to wear a mask because there weren't any cases. Now that there's 500,000 people dead, millions and millions of cases, it makes sense to wear a mask, even if you're only decreasing transmission by 10%. Because, as we've discussed, if you have an effective reproductive number, a real-life reproductive number of 1.1, or let's say 1.05, in other words, one person infects 1.05 people, and then decreasing transmission by 10% by use of a mask actually has a, a large effect because it will drop that reproductive number below one, and as soon as you get it below one, you start to see declining cases. Number two, um, what was number two? <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. So uh, the vaccine will prevent infection in some folks. I have a hypothesis that because the Johnson Johnson vaccine, I think they said they're 67% or something like that. I, I don't remember the exact number, but it's less than Pfizer. But the prevention of death is like 100%, just like Pfizer. So I think the Pfizer vaccine probably has more asymptomatic cases, but they still have cases. I will tell you this, Pfizer had no way to know if when I was in their study, and I still am, I'm in post-marketing surveillance now, but there was no way for them to know whether I had an asymptomatic infection because they weren't testing for that. They were just testing for symptoms. So if you lost your sense of smell, you got a GI bug, fever, cough, those kinds of things, you would notify them through this app and then they would have you do a, an, um, a nasal uh, viral RNA, you know, PCR test. And otherwise, if you had an asymptomatic infection, they, how would they ever know? They weren't testing for it. So that's a possibility that people are still getting infected. I could have been infected after getting the virus. Uh, had somebody cough right in my face. I felt the wind on my face because they, at the same time, they pulled. It's, you know, it, I don't want to go into too many details, but they pulled the the uh, my um, visor off as well. Maybe they were agitated. Who knows? But uh, coughed right in my face, and I maybe I got an asymptomatic. Uh, infection at that point. There's, it's impossible to tell. So, yes, people may be still getting infected, but they're asymptomatic, so they're less likely to transmit. Doesn't mean that the transmission is zero. So, uh, you have a population of people who are not vaccinated, and maybe 15% of those that get it are asymptomatic, or even 50%, but the other half are very symptomatic, coughing, snotting, ending up in the hospital, infecting people right and left. Then you have another group of people who have been vaccinated. Maybe they're getting the virus. We don't know at, at what rate it would be, but it's going to most likely be less than the general population that's vulnerable to the virus. And when they do get infected, because they're asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic, they're not going to transmit it to as many people. So, yes, it still makes sense. And both of those statements can be true, that um, the vaccine is effective and some people can get uh, infected after the vaccine and even transmit to other people. It doesn't uh, make the vaccine not worth anything. 
It's just like this mask thing. I hear people say, well, masks don't work. No, they don't work all the time. Matter of fact, it might not even work most of the time. We don't need them to. We just need them to work some of the time. That doesn't make them worthless because they don't work 100% of the time. What do you know that does work 100% of the time? I mean, we'll do influenza vaccine some years, but it only prevents infection 6% of the time. It still prevents death and hospitalization to a much greater extent. But uh, nothing's perfect. Soup belts aren't perfect. So, all right. Excellent question, my friend. Uh, let's see. Oh, let's play the one where he sounded like an idiot, where his wife said he sounded like an idiot. Let's see if he really did. He's got a great voice. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Paul from New York. I got a question regarding the COVID vaccine. Okay. I keep seeing reports that the COVID vaccine isn't going to prevent you from getting the virus or prevent you from still being contagious. And yet reporters are saying the vaccine is the best way to prevent the spread of the virus. Is it just hypocrisy or is there actually nothing going on here? Yeah, okay. That's, you, didn't, you didn't sound like an idiot. Uh, I think that your use of the word hypocrisy it may may be an issue. You know, maybe she's an English teacher or a fan of the English language. Uh, the word hypocrisy means the practice of claiming to have moral standards or, to, or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform, a.k.a. pretense. I'm not sure that the example that you gave rose to that definition. So that would be the only thing I could see. Otherwise, you sounded great. All right. Uh, let's see here. Hey, Dr. Steve. I'm just listening to the latest podcast about the hypnagogic event. Yes. I have them, it seems like, all the time. Okay, so let's just get everybody on the same page because not everybody listened last, last week. Hypnagogic episodes are those that um, occur while you, sleep is being induced. So you're sitting there and you're dozing and then all of a sudden you jerk awake for me it's always someone kicks a soccer ball in my face dr scott has them as well but for him it's always a baseball being hit from a bat into his face and it's interesting because i played soccer aka football for our british friends and uh dr scott played baseball so that's weird. That was 40 years ago. But I still, when I have a hypnagogic episode, starting to sleep, just, oh, is this going to be great? Oh, God, I woke, you know, what the hell was that? Just jerk all over. Uh, it's always a soccer ball. Anyway, all right. Consistently, where I feel like I'm falling yep. sometimes, and I will actually feel like I bounce yep. in the bed. It's crazy. So, weird stuff. Um, don't pretty cool to finally hear what sort of the disconnect reason is but uh thanks for the info okay well thank you nobody ever calls and says thank you um let me see if there's anything for people that have a ton of those um let me see here if there is anything anything to be worried about oh here's something the tetris effect People who have spent a long time 
at some repetitive activity before sleep. Uh Uh-oh, raid shadow legends could fit into that. In particular, one that is new to them may find it dominates their imagery as they grow drowsy, a tendency dubbed the Tetris effect. This effect has even been observed in amnesiacs who otherwise have no memory of the original activity. When the activity involves moving objects, as in the video game Tetris, the corresponding hypnagogic epi- images tend to be perceived, sorry, perceived as moving. Isn't that interesting? Uh, now, I'm going to tell you this one. I was just going to say this, and here it is. It says, those people who have spent the day skiing continue to feel snow under their feet. I've had that. I was a skier, uh, particularly in high school, and then I continued uh, through medical school. I think the last time I went skiing, oh, gosh, I don't remember when it was. And so if I went now, I would definitely be at risk of having a Sonny Bono-type outcome. So I'm, I'm just... haven't been and i feel like i failed my kids too because i didn't teach them how to ski although i taught them other things but um i you know i really was a good teacher and i was a good skier but anyway uh, i would ski and then that night i'd be watching television and when someone would like i would watch manix because that's how old I am. And when they would turn a corner in a car, my feet would turn like I was skiing. And then I I would have these hypnagogic episodes as well where I felt like um, I could still feel the slope under my, under my boots. Kind of interesting. You know, everything that we have is just perception anyway. You know, that red shirt that you can see in your closet isn't red. Um, it just reflects a low uh, you know a longer wavelength that then hits the eye stimulates certain uh, photosensitive chemicals that then send a signal to the brain saying hey these signals are coming in at this wavelength and we interpret that as red now is my red the same as yours i don't know i mean we'll both look at red and say red but what you look at may be purple i don't know I don't know. If I could get inside your head and see how you see things. But, um, you know, it's all perception, my friend. All perception. And um, it's not true. People say, well, atoms are mostly, mostly empty space, man. That's if you look at an atom as being a nucleus with an electron in orbit around it. Then, yes, Compared to the size of the orbit, the electron is extremely small. But that's not really what's going on. There is a cloud. There, electrons are basically waves. They are fluctuations of a quantum um, uh, quantum um, field. And uh, they act like standing waves inside the confines of the atom. So atoms are actually pretty full. And what keeps you, your finger from passing through the table as I try to do this is a thing called the Pauli exclusion principle, which just basically says that electrons, well, particles of a certain kind cannot be in the same configuration as other ones in the same space. That's basically what it is. And that's what the Pauli exclusion principle is what keeps you from being able to just phase through walls like vision on uh, WandaVision. So anyway, all right, very good hypnagogic effects so i don't see anything real pathological about them now listen if you can't sleep because of them 
because all night long you're just constantly waking up because of these hypnagogic episodes. You need a sleep study. That's the answer. Go uh, to your primary care, say, I need a damn sleep study. And they'll say, why? And you tell them, I, I can't sleep all night because of these damn jerking episodes. And then they'll get you one. All right? Okay, no. okay let's see. I kind of enjoy doing these cold ones. Oh, I see one from Stacy Deloach, though. Let's see what he's got to say. Um, and and some, someone's going to stump me here directly. It might be Stacy. Hi, see. Dr. Steve. Hope you're well. Hello, man. Hi, Stacy. KK4WZI. COVID question. Okay. If the mother, if a female got vaccinated, would her child oh. be born already vaccinated or immune from catching COVID? Is there any data about that yet? Thank you. Bye, Stacy. It's a damn good question. Uh, COVID-19 vaccines for pregnant moms may protect newborns. So let's give him one of these. Give yourself a bill. Uh, case study. This is from The Scientist. Decent online uh, pseudo journal. Said COVID-19 vaccines uh, for pregnant moms may protect newborns. A case study finds SARS-CoV-2 antibodies in placental cord blood after maternal vaccination. So what they've done is they vaccinate, vaccinate these people. And instead of drawing blood from the baby, they're just drawing it from the, from the umbilical cord as it's delivered. Now, the umbilical cord is blood that the, that's being you know, sh- sent to the baby. Uh, you know, the placenta is this organ that dies when the uh, person is born. And there, you know, there are cells that say, okay, I'm going to be placental cells. I'm not going to make it through this thing. I'm going to live for nine months and then I'm going to die. It's sort of like uh, not dissimilar to the Crawley uh, face hugger in Alien. You know, it attaches to the person's face and, and then injects the uh, living alien down into the person's throat and then it stays there long enough to make sure that the thing is viable and then it drops off and dies. So the placenta is kind of like that. There are cells in the dividing uh, uh, ovum when, when the egg is fertilized, it starts to divide that say, I'm gonna, we're going to be placental cells and we're just going to support this thing so that it can live. And um, so this giant or, you know, this organ, it's it's big. It's like the size of, I don't know, uh, let me say a 14-ounce porterhouse steak. And um, the, it, there's exchange of blood in there, although the child's blood is the child's blood. If th- that were not the case, if they were just exchanging blood, then there would be problems because uh, if you had an RH positive mother and an RH negative, oh no, I'm sorry, an RH negative mother and an RH positive child, the mother would develop antibodies to the child and kill it. Uh, it doesn't do that when it, but we've all heard about those those episodes. The reason that that happens is when the baby is born, then there is exchange of blood, and then the mother develops antibodies that then can. Uh, kill her next children if they don't administer this uh, blocking antibody called Rogam at birth. That is, by the way, why Anne Boleyn lost her head was because she was Rh negative and Henry VIII was Rh positive. They had their first child Elizabeth, 
who became Elizabeth I. And then every child she had after that died in the, you know, prior to uh, delivery. And uh, it's the reason for that was RH incompatibility because back then they didn't know. So you, the first kid's always okay. Then every subsequent kid after that is, is, is in trouble. And it's because they can exchange antibodies. What they can't exchange are, um, you know, are blood cells. So uh, if you find antibodies in the cord blood, that means the kid was, was, had antibodies in their bloodstream because that, that blood is the kid's circulation. So that's pretty cool. Uh, these guys say it validates what we've always suspected. Mothers can be vaccinated during pregnancy and can provide the sa- that, some of the level of immunity to their unborn child. Interesting. Well, hmm. Good one, Stacy. I didn't know the answer to that, so now I do. Okie doke. Uh, let's see here. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, here we go. Yep. Hey, Dr. Steve. Um, I was wondering if you can uh, go over the uh, valiant points of the uh, UK Human Challenge study I read about today. Yes. Um, firstly, being. Dude, we are totally running out of time. The challenge study uh, is what I've been advocating for for ages is you give people the vaccine, then you give them the virus after a period of time and see if they get sick. You can speed along viral uh, vaccine development by doing challenge trials rather than just waiting for people to get infected in the community. Why they waited so long? I honestly don't know the answer. Um I advocated this from the beginning and would have volunteered for a challenge trial um, just to um, advance the science. You know, I would take that hit for you guys. And they'd have to pay me, of course. You know, uh, we get paid for the vaccine trial, but for a challenge trial, now they're going to have to come up with some cash for that. And, uh, you know, I'm not that noble, <laughs> but this is, you know, this, we, it would have shortened the time to bring this uh, vaccine to market by, um, oh gosh, half, maybe even faster than that. Might have been taken a third as long. Problem is now we know it's safe. So it's um, a reasonable bet. At the time they didn't. So that's why <clears throat> they wanted to uh, make sure there were no... Uh, impediments to bring this thing to market. And uh, Pfizer was pretty smart. They said, look, we're going to test this thing at a temperature that we know this thing will be stable so that we can get it to market so that there's no roadblocks. And then once it's on the market, then we can do the follow-up studies and show, well, you know what, we really can just keep this at regular uh, freezer temperature. And then, of course, all those people that bought those super cold freezers or uh, SOL, but, you know, that's that's just part of it, I guess. All right, very good. Well, we'll see you next week. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teff, that Gould girl, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Chowdy 1008, Eric Nagel, the Port Charlotte whore, Roland Campos, uh, or Campos, a sister of Chris, Sam Roberts, she who owns Pigs and Snakes, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Mike Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, the great Rob Bartlett, Casey's Wet T-Shirt, Carl's Deviated Septum, Patty Seacups, 
Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's daughter, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, whose support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job not only easy, but enjoyable. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.